0: Hello and welcome to the Blue Collar Yields podcast. I am your host, Tom Migliaccio. At Blue Collar Yields, we will talk about real estate, entrepreneurialism, and many other topics. You can find more episodes on Apple Podcasts. And while there, don't forget to rate this show and subscribe. Our guest today is Brittany Cripps, founder of Cloud9EasyGo, a portable memory phone seat cushion designed for travelers and office workers who find themselves sitting for extended periods of time. Brittany is a first-generation college graduate and was raised by her grandmother in a small rural town in Alabama. She graduated with a degree in psychology from the University of Alabama and later moved to Philadelphia, Pennsylvania to pursue her career. In addition to founding Cloud9EasyGo, Brittany owned a catering business and operated a marketing company. On this episode, Brittany discusses her life as an inventor and entrepreneur while going into detail about the patent process. Brittany, thanks for joining us today. Yeah, absolutely.
1: I'm glad to be on.
0: So what was your inspiration for the Cloud9EasyGo cushion?
1: My inspiration stemmed from a trip to Europe back in 2016. I was on a 10 hour flight back from Italy, and the flight would have been absolutely amazing had the seats not been so uncomfortable. So, that whole flight, you know, I was just squirming around trying to get adjusted, and it just was really, really miserable because the seats were so uncomfortable. So when I got home, I started researching different types of seat cushions that, you know, could have helped me on that trip. And there was really nothing on the market like what I was looking for that would support the full upper body. I looked for about two or three weeks, did the Google search, looked everywhere that I could possibly think to look, and there was nothing. So I just decided that I was going to invent it. (laughs)
0: so let me ask you a clarifying question here when you were looking up after that trip was it actually for you to be a consumer and purchase it
1: yes i was looking for something that i could buy you know the amazon search the google search i was just looking for something that i could purchase so the next trip that i took would not be so miserable and In doing that research, I realized that there was really nothing that would accommodate what I needed. So I just started figuring out how I could possibly make something like what I wanted.
0: (laughs) You determined there was a demand for the product, but the cushion was still an idea. How did you move towards making your initial cushion?
1: It was really a shot in the dark. I had no idea how I was going to make this happen. I just knew that... It was a good idea in my mind because I needed it. So I figured other people might need it. And I just started, again, doing a Google search on how to make a prototype, how to get something going that would be more than just an idea that could, you know, turn into a tangible product. So it really just started with a Google search and that led me to different tutorials and different results that came up for like patents and prototypes and different things like that.
0: The initial prototype is now complete. So at this point, I know I would be paranoid that another inventor would steal my idea. You (laughs) kind of touched on this, but can you tell us what steps you took to protect your invention?
1: When I first started doing the research one recurring theme that came up in a lot of the videos and a lot of like the guides that I saw was protect your intellectual property. And I knew that if I was going to move forward with this, I would need to patent it. And I knew it would be costly, but I knew that it would be worth protecting, you know, because I was thinking on a larger scale, you know, I'm planning to make this thing a big company, a big business. So I didn't have the money just to throw around, but I knew it would be a necessary investment. Again, Google was my best friend. (laughs) I Googled patent attorneys and it was really simple as far as like finding someone who could do a patent application for me because One thing I did learn is you can do a patent application on your own, but I would advise anyone who's thinking about doing something like this to shy away from that, simply because there are a lot of loopholes that if you don't understand the language, if you haven't been trained for it, you could really mess yourself up. You could pay thousands of dollars and still not technically be protected. So I would definitely advise getting a patent attorney. I found someone local, not a person, but a firm, and I paid for the provisional patent. So the way the patent process works is you have an idea and you're thinking about getting something patented. You have the option of starting with the provisional patent. A provisional patent is pretty much like a safeguard for you. It protects your idea for up to a year, and it gives you an opportunity to see, one, if your idea is feasible, You know, if you could actually make whatever it is happen, if it's a product that you want to sell. You have up to a year to decide if this product is sellable, if it's marketable, if people want it. And before that one year mark, you have to decide if you're going to go through with the full non-provisional patent. And the reason why that's such a big thing is because the provisional patent is relatively inexpensive. It was only a few hundred dollars. But once I decided to go through with the non-provisional patent, that's where the big bucks came in. It was a lot of money. It was several thousand dollars. But again, I had that one year time frame to decide if that was an investment that I wanted to make.
0: We're inside that year, you decide you want to move forward. Outside of the money and the cost, what were the next steps to get the full patent?
1: If you get a patent attorney, your attorney handles all of the hard work when it comes to deadlines and the information needed To move forward with the process. So I provided them, like I had sketches that I had drawn out of my idea of the cushion. And once I had the cushion in hand, I took it to the attorney. So they took pictures and that sort of thing. But as far as writing up the proposal and writing the application, that was in their hands. That's what I paid them to do, which again is why I would recommend someone to get an attorney because that is what they're trained to do. If I had to do the application on my own, I would have struggled through it. I'm pretty positive I would have made several missteps because it's a tedious process. If you're investing this much time and money into something, mm-hmm. it's not something you want to take lightly, you know. It's not something you kind of want to, you know, do a half job on.
0: What mistakes did you make from the beginning where you had the initial idea? To the point where you had the patent and how did you learn from those mistakes
1: my biggest opportunity for growth was i decided to go with an international manufacturer if i could go back i would change that is because there's so little control i had over the process as far as my prototype goes as far as the first order of production my manufacturer was in China. The communication was very limited, time zone differences, language barriers, and I worked around it. It wasn't terrible as far as that goes, but the scariest part was just not really having any control over the process. Once I told them what I wanted, I was kind of at their mercy. You know, I paid my deposits and whatever it was. The contractual agreement was I paid them, and it was kind of like, okay, if they wanted to, they could disappear into thin air. We had an NDA, a non disclosure agreement, so they legally weren't supposed to share my idea because, again, I have protection from the provisional patent here, but that doesn't apply in China or in any other country. I would have to pay for that. So I was at their mercy in a lot of different ways. In my personal experience, the prototype was amazing. They sent me the prototype. It was beyond what I asked for. It was really, really great. But once I placed the order for my test order, this was going to be the first order that I would you know, present to the public. I would actually be selling to kind of gauge the market. It was not to part. It was not at all what I expected, what we had agreed upon, and I had already paid. There was really nothing I could do. So I just had a decent sized inventory of products that I was not happy with. So I would say my biggest lesson that I learned was sometimes you have to pay for the quality that you want. And I went back and forth with them a few times. They corrected some of the issues that I had, but it still wasn't quite what I wanted. So I decided to sever ties with that particular company and start to search for a manufacturer that's stateside. It did cost a little bit more, but it showed in the quality of my product as well.
0: So Brittany, when you were initially shopping, was the most important factor you were looking at price per unit?
1: Initially, yes. Because this is my labor of love. And I mean that in every way possible. I'm putting my own funds into it. I don't have any investors. It's all me. So the money that I paid to get the prototype, the money for the patent, the money for the test order and all the orders after that, that was from my pocket. So initially, I definitely was thinking small terms and thinking price per unit. Let's right. get it as low well as possible. But after the experience that I had with the international manufacturer, I learned that sometimes it's worth putting in a little more money. It's worth going a little above what you would like to get the quality product that you want.
0: Now we have this idea. We transform the idea into a prototype along with a patent. Are you pursuing this full time or do you have a nine to five still?
1: I do have a 9 to 5. It's a juggling act. You know, still taking care of my obligations at my day job and putting in an equal if not more amount of time to my own business. It's definitely a balancing act.
0: So you're giving 40 to 50 hours a week to your employer. Did you know right away that you needed someone else to make these in order to scale up? Did you ever think that maybe you were going to sew these or what was the thought process there? I knew from the
1: beginning I would need a manufacturer. I can sew, but there's no way, especially having a nine to five, that I would be able to keep up with any demand. Like Even if the sales were extremely low, I still couldn't keep up because I have a full-time job. So that was not even a question. I had to find someone who would be able to manufacture these cushions for me.
0: So let's bounce back to the manufacturers. How did you actually find and settle on the second one? Was it a recommendation from the attorney or did you just use Google some more to find it?
1: I just did a lot of research. I contacted several different manufacturers and just... Learn from the experience I had previously. I knew the questions to ask. I knew what points I needed to make and what responses I needed from them in order to move forward. Because before it was trial and error. I had no idea what I was doing. I was starting from nothing. So with the experience, and albeit it was not the best experience, it definitely was a lesson that helps me now. I kind of know what red flags to look out for. You know, if I'm emailing you inquiring about, you know, possibly paying you to manufacture something for me and I don't get a response from you in two weeks, you're probably not going to be the most reliable source to make my cushion. Just kind of, building from the experiences I've already had to decipher, would this company be, you know, a legitimate manufacturer for me? So it was pretty much just trial and error and learning from previous mistakes. That's how I pinpointed my current manufacturer. And they were very professional, very, you know, consistent and just handled things in a very professional manner.
0: Did you lose any sleep when you initially turned it over to the new manufacturer? Were there still anxiety and the nerves setting in about dealing with the overseas manufacturer? Were you a little more confident this time?
1: I lose sleep every night over this. (laughs) (laughs) It's an ongoing thing. (laughs) But I did feel a lot more at ease with the new manufacturer just For the simple reason of them being stateside, if something went wrong, if it was something that was immediate, I could fly to them pretty easily as opposed to someone, a company in China where it would be very, very difficult to maneuver something like that in a different country. You know, you can't just kind of pop up in China and say, okay, what's going on with my product? (laughs)
0: So you briefly touched on this. You talked about how much the patent attorney was. Then we have the prototype, the manufacturing. It all cost money. How were you initially funding your product?
1: Initially, it was coming out of my own pocket. Everything was straight from me. And what helped with that, I did a crowdfunding campaign through an organization called Women. In the summer of 2018, I raised over $12,000 and that helped so much to, you know, just get the basic needs of a small business kind of off the ground. And it allowed me to, you know, start the process of getting my next order paid for. It allowed me to get my website developed, which is something that I should have done Pretty early on, mm-hmm. you know, so it just helped me take care of some things that before I wasn't able to do just because I couldn't afford it.
0: That crowdfunding, was it you selling off equity or was it people buying early prototypes of the product?
1: It was people buying products for my company. So instead of just donating money they would contribute whatever amount of money that they would contribute. And you could choose an item up to this amount. So you could possibly get a blanket or you could get a water bottle or you could get a cushion just based on the amount of money that you contributed to my campaign. It was really helpful in kind of helping Cloud9 EasyGo grow.
0: So prior to the crowdfunding, you're a girl from a small town in Alabama. You're personally financing an invention and it was being produced abroad at one point. How did your friends and family react? Did they think you were crazy?
1: I think because of the personality that I have and because of how I operate just in general, I don't think they were surprised. <laughs> I mean, that's something that's instilled in me, you know, for better or worse. That's just who I am. So if I have an idea, no matter how crazy it is, I'm pretty much going to go after it. So when I told them about, you know, this invention, and I had it, a manufacturer in China, and it, they were just like, "Uh, oh, okay, that's pretty interesting." Yeah. <laughs> My family's very supportive. Friends are very supportive. So I'm very thankful for that because. It's already hard enough You battle with yourself, wondering, okay, is this crazy? I've had so many back and forths with myself, and you know the doubt is inevitable. So it's easier when you do have a strong support system kind of behind you.
0: So at this point, you now have the manufacturing figured out, what do the sales and logistics look like, and how do customers order, and how are their orders fulfilled?
1: When I first started selling my cushions, I sold them on Amazon. And that made sense to me because Amazon is so well-known. You don't really need to market with Amazon. Amazon is the marketing tool, right? Everybody orders everything from Amazon. And I did very well. The first order of the cushions, the test order sold out of those. And it took me a while because I didn't really have the money to get the next order together. And, you know, just the issues with my manufacturer, it took me a while to get my next order back on Amazon. But once I did, they sold out really quickly. But once I raised the money with the crowdfunding campaign, then I decided, okay, I'm going to kind of step away from Amazon and see how my product sells on its own. So I started selling my products solely from my website. So right now I don't have any products on Amazon. I may go back to Amazon at some point just because it's an easy way to you know, gain sales. But right now I'm just testing how the products sell on my website.
0: So Brittany, are you using like a pickpacking technique where distribution center will hold the bulk of your inventory and send it off as the orders come in?
1: No, right now I am shipping the products on my own. It gets very hectic. It takes a lot of strategizing, but it's actually not too bad. I gave myself a pretty decent window of time from, you know, the time the order is placed to the time that it has to be shipped. And most of the time the orders are shipped well before that seven to 10 day window. But I just wanted to give myself enough leeway if I'm out of town for a day or two or something like that. I want to make sure it's not affecting my business. It's not affecting the customer's experience. So it was just a matter of strategically setting things up to where I could manage it.
0: How did the sales evolve from word of mouth, you know, when you're selling to friends and family to what it is today?
1: With Amazon, the majority of my sales were people who are strangers to me. Most of my customers from my Amazon sales, I don't know who they are because they're Amazon shoppers and they saw the product, they liked it, and they bought it. So that to me just kind of shows the power of Amazon. Nobody knows what Cloud9 Easy Go is, but just because it's on Amazon, I feel like that was a way to get my foot in the door to kind of get my products out there to people who I wouldn't have been able to reach. But now that it holds a little more weight on its own, I would say that the crowdfunding campaign is kind of what set that up for me. Once I started that campaign and my friends told their friends and their friends told their friends and and the word just kind of spread like that, it became more of an actual brand as opposed to, Oh, this is my friend's cushion. I'm going to buy it to support her. Like more people started following my social media and people actually started following the brand as opposed to, you know, knowing me and wanting to support me.
0: So outside of the crowdfunding, what has been the most successful marketing strategy?
1: I would say the most successful marketing strategy has been social media just being consistent and making sure that I post regularly, making sure that I keep my product relevant because it's easy to kind of fall by the wayside with a small business and just showing that you're not blacking off and you're not giving up. I think that builds confidence in supporters and customers and just repetition. The more people see your brand, the more people see your logo, the more people see you with your products it just becomes kind of like a subliminal thing. And eventually it may turn into a sale just because they've seen cloud nine easy go so much. It piques an interest and maybe they'll go to the website and see what this is that they're seeing all over their timeline or their, you know, whatever it is. So I would just say consistency in social media, just because again, it is a small business. I am doing a lot of this on my own. So I really haven't had the opportunity, financial resources, I guess I would say, to do like big SEO marketing and that sort of thing. So I've depended mostly on social media.
0: So what have you learned from dealing with customers?
1: I have learned that there's always room for improvement. I take constructive criticism very well, I would say. I don't get offended easily. And I take the recommendations and the advice that I receive seriously. Some of the recommendations that I've gotten from my product, I've changed the product based on some of the things that my customers have told me. And I'm still doing that. My product is still a work in progress, you know, as most things are. You work on it until you get it exactly how you want it and i'm almost there but i'm a perfectionist so i see little things could make it a little more ergonomic could make it a little more make it better you know because if you're not open to innovating your product then you're kind of setting yourself up for failure
0: cloud nine easy go does not only produce cushions can you tell us what other products your company offers
1: Aside from the portable memory foam seat cushions, we have travel blankets. We have throw blankets, which are a larger version of the travel size blanket, and they are so comfortable. And I'm not just saying this because it's my product, but they are some of the softest, warmest blankets I've ever had. It took me a long time to choose the particular blanket, just because I like cozy stuff. I like fuzzy socks, you know, in the fall, I like nice warm scarves. So I wanted to make sure that blankets were really, really luxurious. We have really nice blankets. We have water bottles. And the exciting news is I'm developing two variations of the existing cushion. So it's going to be the same design of mm-hmm. the existing cushion but different dimensions. So there's going to be a version that is specifically made for office seating because the existing cushion was designed for cars and airplane seats. So the dimensions are a little taller. So I'm developing a version that will fit in a normal office desk seat.
0: Those blankets sound really comfortable. Can you tell us what they retail for?
1: The travel blanket retails for 55. And the throw blanket retails for sixty-five.
0: Where do you okay. see Cloud Nine Easy go in five years? And what steps are you taking to get there?
1: The direction that I want the company to head in is going into different industries. So I mentioned having the different variations of the cushions. One's gonna be for office desk chairs and you know, regular seating like in the home, but the Biggest and most exciting change that I see for Cloud9EasyGo is the other variation I'm planning to make for stadium and arena seating. It's going to be the same design, but it would fit the seats in stadiums and arenas. I love sports, and I've been to several basketball games. I live in Philadelphia, as you know, so I've been to an Eagles game. I've been to several Sixers games. and Every time I go, the seats are just not the most comfortable thing to sit in. I really believe that the existing cushion, made to be a smaller version to fit in those types of seats, is going to be the next big step for Cloud Nine Easy Go.
0: How did your upbringing prepare you for this moment as a small business entrepreneur?
1: My upbringing prepared me for. Being a small business entrepreneur because it taught me if I'm going to have something, I'm going to have to work for it. My grandma raised me, and it was just me and her, and we really did not have much at all. By most people's standards, we would be considered poor. And I didn't know that as a kid, you know, I had everything I needed, but the extra stuff, like I never went on a family vacation ever as a kid we didn't have the extra stuff you know so anything that I want I don't assume it's going to be given to me I know I have to work my butt off for it because I've always had to and my grandmother she had to work her butt off to get me the things that I needed and get me through school and get me through college you know so it's just that mindset of you know if you want something you have to go get it it made me really resilient and it made me really humble. I'm grateful for the upbringing that I had because I appreciate things a lot more just because I didn't always have the things that I have now.
0: So what was your first job ever, and what lessons (laughs) did you carry forward throughout your career?
1: (laughs) My very first job, I was a cashier at a grocery store. At the time, it was the only grocery store in my little town in Sullivan, Alabama, and I was a cashier. I started working there, I think, a little before my 16th birthday. I wasn't supposed to start working until I was 16, but I started a little before that, and I just remember... You know, I would be hanging out with my friends some days and have to leave early because I had to go to work or I would, you know, just certain things that I wanted to do. And I'm like, oh, man, okay, I've got to go to work. But I never thought of it as an option. I never thought of it like, okay, well, I can just call in or I can do this or I can do that. Like I took pride in my job because, like I said, we didn't have much. So earning that money, it wasn't just helping me. It was helping my grandma, too. I guess taught me responsibility. I was proud of my job. You know, it was my first opportunity to be independent, make my own money, make decisions with my own money. So it taught me independence and responsibility.
0: What advice do you have for female entrepreneurs going through the startup phase?
1: I would give this advice to anybody, but especially female entrepreneurs. I would say keep going if your heart is in it. If the passion is there, just keep going. It gets hard sometimes, and I'll be honest, sometimes it is a very lonely, lonely path. It's a lonely road. No matter how much support you have, no one can understand the pressure, the burden of it sometimes, because this is my baby, you know, and, you know, if I sat down and I told the person closest to me in my life exactly how I felt They would empathize with me, but no one can understand what I'm going through because this is my baby. Nobody understands the connection I have with this company and the sacrifices. It gets lonely and you'll doubt yourself for sure. It's human nature. But whenever those doubts creep in and you start to question why you're putting yourself through this, just remember if it were easy, everybody would be an entrepreneur.
0: Boom. Let's end it on that. That was perfect. Brittany, thank you so much for being here. How can our listeners get in touch with you? Can you tell us your websites and the social media of where they can find you as well?
1: So you can find more information at cloud, the number nine, easy, and that's spelled out E A S Y, go.com. You can find us on social media at cloud the number nine easy go. All of our contact information can be found in one or two of those places.
0: Thank you so much, Brittany. We really appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule to be here with us.
1: No problem. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Thanks for tuning into this week's episode. We hope you enjoyed it. If there are more topics you would like to hear about, you can email us at info at bluecollaryields.com. For more episodes, you can search Blue Collar Yields on Apple Podcasts.